This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis, and my co-host is my trusty service dog, Whistle. And we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today, we will be visiting with author Maria Gudovich. And Maria is the author of the best-selling 2012 book, Soldier Dogs. And she's back this fall with another great book. And it's a real-life story about one particular canine. And the name of the book is Top Dog, the story of marine hero Luca. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Maria to the show. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And it's my pleasure to welcome Maria Gudovich to our show today. Hello, Maria, and welcome. Hi. Hello to Whistle as well. Yes, Whistle's tail is wagging. He says hello. (laughs) (laughs) So, Maria, I have to start by asking you, so you are a former USA Today journalist. So how did you decide to write about military dogs for your first book, Soldier Dogs, and now Top Dog? Well, my father was a very young man when World War II started, and he ended up uh, overseas in World War II and with dogs. Now, he wasn't a dog handler, but when I was a child growing up, he was always talking about the dogs he served with, and they would save lives by day, as he said, and save souls at night. So he was a little homesick. He was 18, and he would just go and snuggle up with a dog at the end of the day, literally. And he said it just brought such a piece of home to him. It was just such a relief, stress relief, and it just felt so good to be with these dogs. And that kind of opened my eyes to what military dogs did. And yes, I went on to become a journalist, and I did write a lot about dogs as well. And that dovetailed absolutely beautifully when the Osama bin Laden raid happened in 2011. I don't know if you know this, but there was a dog involved uh, in Cairo. 
and the dog was, people didn't know, it seemed a lot of people weren't aware that there were dogs in the military. I had been collecting information on military dogs and thinking at some point, maybe I will do a book. I have done other books, but nothing like that one. And then the raid hit and people went crazy for it. And I thought, this is the time to start, you know, really launching into this because of this. And I'm so glad I did. It was, it was great timing. The world was really interested. It was very relevant. And it was about time that uh, some light was shed on these amazing, and heroic dog teams. Yeah, well, I know. I think that's such a great point, talking about what happened with Osama bin Laden. And it was amazing of how people were mesmerized by that and what the dogs could do. And it, it really was a tremendous way to get their attention about that. And you talked about a lot of different military dogs in your first book. Yeah, there were, at the peak, more than 700 dog teams serving in both Iraq and Afghanistan. They were there for a while together, and that's a lot. And right now, or before before we were pulling out of these countries, the number one killer of people over there was, of our guys, and actually of locals as well, were IEDs. They're explosives that are very hard to detect, and humans have a really hard time detecting them because we just have our eyes to go by, and our machinery, just our technology just isn't quite there. But we have dogs, and their noses know everything, and they can find it. A well-trained dog with a good handler can find these deadly things and stop people from being hurt before they come across them. And the great thing is that the training is all really positive these days. It's all carrot and no stick. It's really wonderful praise to the high heavens by the handler and Kongs. You know what Kongs are. Kongs oh, are yes. All- Yep, that's their paycheck. And they work for that and they love it. And so they're saving lives and it's kind of a game to them. They're just loving what they're doing. And and when they find a bomb in the field, they, of course, the handler's not going to throw a Kong right there for them, but they know they've done well and the handler will praise them a little bit and then go on later. And these dogs, for the most part, the most valuable asset is uh, the nose for sniffing bombs out there. And some are also trained on the bite, so they will go after the bad guy if need be. And there are lots of other kinds of dogs, like they will actually sniff after the bad guys. So they're combat tracking dogs. They, so throughout history, our history in the U.S. with military dogs started in World War II. We didn't actually procure them for World War I, but World War II, they were very important. So they've had all kinds of jobs, but these days it's the ability to sniff out these bombs. And so many people are back home because these dogs did their job so beautifully. And these men and women were able to come home instead of you know, coming home in body bags. Yeah, yeah, they take a hero to a whole new level, don't they? It's incredible. Well, so tell us, how did you focus on Luca for your latest book, Top Dog? Well, as, as you said, my first book was more of an overview of the military dog system because there was nothing to that point about it and and had many poignant stories within. But when I ran across Luca's story, I just, and I learned more and more about her, I thought, oh, this girl deserves her own book. I had been in touch with her original handler for my first book, and this was before anything really big happened to Luca other than she was an amazing dog. But when I found out her whole story up to that point, I realized, you know, this this is, wow, this is the most perfect example. I think she embodies the best qualities of military dogs. There are 
all kinds of fantastic military dogs out there, but she's sort of like the embodiment of it all. She's intelligent, dedicated, brave. She's super passionate about what she does. And she's calm in the face of danger, which is a really big plus. She never flinched when she heard explosives and gunshots. Um, She actually was napping one day on a rooftop when Chris Willingham, her handler, was with her in Iraq. She was napping during a firefight. He had her in a nice little quiet place near his feet, and she just fell asleep. So, um, and then <laughs> she's deeply connected. She also, you know, most dogs are able to form a very deep bond with their handlers. And, and of course, she had a great nose. And what would happen to her later, which I'm sure we'll discuss in a minute, really, you know, really made her front and center to me, the way she got through a really hard time. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, well, tell us what kind of dog Luca is for our listeners. She is half German Shepherd and half Belgian Malinois. And I think she got the very best of both breeds. Not that there's much bad about either one of those breeds, actually, (laughs) but she was able to just, she just nailed it. She was born and raised for two years in the Netherlands. And the U.S. does not procure most of its dogs for the military from the U.S. We have a breeding program at Lackland Air Force Base right now, which is providing quite a good number of Belgian Malinois puppies each year. And it's growing and definitely getting more successful each year. But we're still getting most military dogs from Europe because they have such a history of police sport dog breeding there. And they really breed these dogs well for what the military needs. But Luca was actually bought by the Israeli Defense Forces canine departments, canine unit, and they trained up several hand-picked Marines on a specialty that only they had and Britain had at the time, which was off-leash work for bomb detection. It's very important and specialized work, and the U.S. connected with them to train some Marines to do this, and then the Marines were able to train future Marines and future soldiers on this skill and this art of off-leash dog training. So Luca became an off-leash detection dog, which was really best for all concerned. She she was highly successful. She went on more than 400 missions during her three combat deployments. No one was ever hurt. She found all kinds of explosives and weapons. And everyone behind her, she walked point with her handlers, and no one was ever hurt. She did a phenomenal job. It's amazing. And how many handlers did Luca have? She had two. The first one, Chris Willingham, had her, uh, he went to Israel and trained with her there for six months, brought her back. They trained much more here. They went twice to Iraq. And as it happens in the military, there are no guarantees you'll stay with your dog. He was lucky to have her through two deployments but he had to move on to something else and had to hand her off to someone else. Fortunately, he was able to handpick his successor, and that was a man named Juan Rodriguez, wonderful handler, heart of gold, absolutely loved Luca, and he did a very nice transition so that Luca got used to Juan before uh, Chris had to go off. He actually went to Helsinki, Finland for his next duty. So he was in, Luca was in very good hands, and Juan had her for the one deployment to Afghanistan. And we'll talk about, I'm sure, what, what happened to Luca in Afghanistan uh, that really, really set her story apart. But it's a great story because it has a happy ending, and Luca was adopted by her original handler at the end. He actually had an agreement with Juan Rodriguez saying, hey, look, you know, I'm handing you her leash now, but I just want to know that you're okay with the fact that I really want to adopt her when, when her time is done. And Juan was totally fine about that. He knew, you know, this was a very important mission, but he was there to bring Luca back in one piece so that, 
you know, he could save a lot of people over there and she could go home to Chris at the end of her of her service. And uh, that's what happened. Wow. Well, we're going to take just a quick break and hear some important messages from our sponsors. And then we're going to come back and you're going to tell us that story and what it is that makes Lucas so incredible. Okay. You got it. Okay. So come right back after these messages. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Radio. Com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And we're visiting today with Maria Gudovich. And she is telling us the incredible story of military dog Luca. And before the break, she was teasing us about the story of Luca and how she's going to tell that to us. And it is incredible. And and we certainly want you to do that. And we can't wait any longer. Maria, tell us. <laughs> well, I'm not giving anything away. Um, it's a big, not a big spoiler alert here because the book Top Dog actually opens with this happening to Luca. So this was her third deployment. She was in Afghanistan with her second very devoted handler. We call him Rod, Juan Rodriguez. And they were actually working alongside special forces, you know, the Green Berets, the very elite soldiers out there who do some really high-end missions. And she was walking point. She had been with them uh, two or three months at that point. And they were walking point in some farm field areas in Afghanistan when uh, she detected an IED. And her handler, Rod, uh, notified EOD, and they were going to check it out. And on her way back to Rod, suddenly all he saw, he saw the dust. He heard the explosion, this huge cloud of dust and smoke kicked up. He couldn't see his dog anymore. She had clearly, something had happened. There was another IED that was in her path on the way back, and he didn't know what happened to her. He grabbed his head, his helmet actually, between his hands and, and didn't even, he was, it's every dog handler's worst nightmare that that would happen to their best friend because they bond so deeply. And he ran over to her. He didn't even think about the fact there could be more IEDs between him and her. He just ran over to her. And as the dust was clearing, he saw her lying there. He heard only one yelp and he saw her lying there panting. She was alive. And he, he was going to scoop her up and take her to the tree line because, you know, you never know in a situation like that if there are snipers just waiting for such a moment. But he had to treat her right there because she was bleeding out. Her leg was a horrible mess. 
and uh, he put a tourniquet on and quickly then he, he picked her up and she's great about being picked up every time on all her missions she had to be carried across various canals or whatever she just sort of went limp in someone's arms and just never stiffened up just relaxed and thank goodness that's what she did this time he was able to run her over to some trees where they had better protection and uh, a medic came running over as well and these medics with special forces are like doctors they're amazing so between the two of them they got her at least stabilized. They put another tourniquet on her, and the medic gave her some morphine, so she was resting comfortably. They called in a helicopter, which, you know, just, just like any other soldier or Marine, uh, she got treated just, just like a wounded warrior would, which is really quite wonderful. It's not like perhaps it used to be. But um, they came in with a helicopter and whisked her off with the handler to Camp Leatherneck, which uh, where they triaged her and realized this dog needed more care than they could give. So they put her in another bird with the handler and sent her off to Kandahar, which has the, a really great veterinary facility. And better yet, they have a human military hospital there for, for cases, you know, it's all pretty much trauma over there. So they did not treat Luca in the uh, in the veterinary office. They actually uh, they put her together a little bit more there, but then they ran her over to the human hospital where they did all kinds of tests, MRIs, X-rays. So you got this dog here going through the the MRI tube just to, just as humans would, of course, yep. sanitize it <laughs> before and after. And then it was clear that her leg would have to go. It was her left front leg. And she, at the time of surgery, had the most amazing care. She was operated on by some really fantastic veterinary surgeons and veterinarians, but as well on the team were people who normally operate on humans, human doctors and surgeons. The anesthesiologist, in fact, was a human anesthesiologist, you know, a regular doctor for us, as we call them. And so she was in really good hands. These people volunteer because they normally are working on, on people and they just, it was a good break for them and it gave them hope because they know that dogs can recover really well. And so they, they all had a hand in this and, and Juan Rodriguez was with her through and through the whole thing. He watched the surgery. It was an intensive two-hour procedure. And then uh, he was he stayed with her in her kennel both before and after the surgery. And he didn't leave her side you know, to go to the restroom for a couple of days. He slept in there with her. And this is not a big kennel. I have a picture in the book of him sleeping in the kennel. It's just it's just I so love the photos in your book. Yeah. They're so <laughs> Thank wonderful. You. It's iconic. That photo is just <laughs> iconic. The veterinarian took it um, because he just he was so touched by it. And uh, Luca, within a couple of days, actually three days after the incident, she was walking unassisted. She just didn't need the sling anymore even. She just wanted to get around. And so she started figuring out how to do it, rocking, horsing her way around the area outside. And she just has, she barely missed a beat. She has been a tail wagger and she's gotten <laughs> such good care. She is now such an inspiration to so many. Uh, she did come home and was uh, retired, obviously. She could no longer serve. And what's beautiful about that story is that back even 10 years ago, a dog like that may not have been safe because the dogs are no longer able to serve and they put a lot into this dog and yeah. just so that she could retire and make someone happy and be it's you know, well rewarded for what she had done over the years. So that was, I just, that story just, you know, that oh, was sort of, like she already had enough to write a book about, but <laughs> that one and how she is today, you know, how she is so inspirational to so many. Well, how visits. old was she when that happened? She, let me see, that was 2011, so she was about 
seven. Um, so she's so really in her prime. Yeah, really in her prime, and she was retired. And she actually, dogs don't get officially don't get any medals or ribbons from the Department of Defense. But there are a lot of people in the military who will happily dole these out, and so because they know the jobs these dogs do. So she has two unofficial Purple Hearts, actually. She wears one proudly on her harness when she goes out and about <laughs> to visit military hospitals and veterans' hospitals and homes. And she's, she she actually visits the Walter Reed um, facility, the amputation facility there, so amputee facility, where people are just learning to cope with without the use of some or sometimes, you know, all limbs. And she just, she walks in wagging and holding a Kong in her mouth. And people see this and the relatives get so inspired and the amputees get so inspired. And it's really, it's really a, an amazing sight to see her just walk in and light up a room. She's really my inspiration because she is always a very, she's a calm, happy dog. She's just, she's all this life and she keeps on going. She doesn't let this get in her way. And I just thought, this dog needs a book and, and people need to know not only what these dogs do, but be inspired by her story as I was. That is so beautiful. And it, I mean, talk about a professional woman. I mean, she is the perfect right. example. That <laughs> is just so awesome. They call her Mama Luca. And uh-huh. they call, there were a few nicknames. There's Mama Luca, Bearcat Jones. No one really quite knows where that <laughs> one came from. Um, but the most popular one was Mama Luca. And no one's really quite sure how that came about. But a lot of handlers who have female dogs, the dog's nickname, Mamas. Mamas. You hear ah. this all the time when you're Mamas. And I think it's sort of a maternal thing. But she became Mama Luca. You know, she looked after everyone. She cared for yeah. everyone. And in the field, she was watching everyone. And, and at the end of the day, boy, everyone loved her. She brought such a sense of normalcy as I talked about with my dad's story she was she was the one touchstone to home and you had everyone just wanting to pet her and she would go up to people she seemed to know who was having a hard day and maybe go up to them a little bit more and even the afghans the uh, the special forces were working alongside afghan local police and they really started taking a liking to her because i think they saw the value and she just has that and if you have the book cover in front of you you can see in her eyes she's so expressive everything she's gorgeous yeah there's those little black eyebrows that you can see every emotion that flicks across her face and chris the the original handler and uh, adoptee and i i lived with him and his family his beautiful wife and children for almost a couple of weeks when they were living in the washington D C area last year and I she was my roommate. Actually Luca became my roommate because she just she loved she seemed to like hanging out with me. It turns out it was the salmon treats I brought along and when they ran out she ended up going back upstairs to the Williams. But she is so expressive. I would just look in her eyes and see everything that she'd been through. And Chris and I sometimes would be sitting upstairs interviewing and, and he would just be in awe. He'd just look at her, look at her eyes, look at her eyes, look at her. He's like a proud dad. He just loves watching her. And she's a vital part of the family now. She's, she wakes up on Sundays to, you know, home cook breakfast. Pretty much she mooches off everyone for that kind of stuff. But she's fit. She gets lots of good exercise and she's absolutely beloved. And the good news is that her second handler also has a part in her life. Juan gets to visit sometimes. He just visited them in Southern California and for a, um, a TV show that Luca will be on, actually. And he gets to take part and she, he gets to basically take the leash while he visits. And if they're traveling and there's a hotel involved, she'll usually go off with him to the hotel, to, to his room. So we can just hang out a little bit together because she oh, bonded so with nice. both her handlers very, very much. And so it's great for her to have those people joke, two dads. Yeah, She's exactly. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yep. she's got a great life, and I have a wonderful picture of her on my 
oh gosh, it's I think it's on my website and definitely my Facebook page of her celebrating her tenth birthday. She's got a really happy smile on her face and she's got her little doggy cupcake in front of her and a little party hat on and there's just like people send her accolades from, from all over and that's even before the book came out. Well, she is quite the star, and she deserves all of the accolades that she gets. I was wondering about, I'm glad you mentioned that about you living with them, because I was wondering about how that was for you. And I was also wondering about her adoption process. How long before she actually got back to the States and was officially adopted? Well, she needed medical care before she came back to the States, obviously. So she had to recover a little bit longer in Afghanistan, not too much, just a matter of days. And then she was flown to Germany to an amazing dog facility they have there. The military has there. It's a, it's a dog hospital, Germany or something. It's, it's akin to the cutting edge facility they have at Lackland Air Force Base for dogs who need extra care who are in the U.S. So it's the best of the best. And so they took care of her a while longer there until she was able to make that plane trip home back to San Diego, where she was based at Camp Pendleton. And it, it didn't really take long. I mean, it was because Chris had been the kennel master at Camp Pendleton, things moved along pretty quickly. Ah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> he was at another job in Germany, I'm sorry, in, the, in Finland, as I said, and he didn't really, he didn't have a big hand in it, but it was known that this was what was going to happen. So it really didn't take long. It was more a matter of, it was a surprise to Juan that he was going to be taking himself to Finland. He thought that that was just going to be arranged, but he didn't have a passport. And so they had to kind of trick him into getting a passport saying, oh, you know, everybody in the military now has to have a passport, which you don't. <laughs> but they, so it was a big surprise to him that he was getting this wonderful airfare to Finland to go with this dog and drop her off. And that was just a matter of um, a very few months after she was injured. It was just more of a matter of getting all the paperwork together and arranging everything. So she went over there and actually it was very well televised, American Airlines helped get them over there. They're a very, very military-friendly company, I'm happy to say. And they got them over there. And when they got to Finland, there there were so many cameras rolling and so many reporters. They actually closed off this whole wing of the airport so that Luca could arrive with Juan. <laughs> and then they dropped everyone else off elsewhere. It was a really big a really big deal there. And then in Finland, where Luca lived at first with the family for quite a while until they came back here, she was a star. She Because there's so much TV and newspapers, paper and web coverage, people would stop her in the streets and, and oh. point, Luca, Luca. And, you know, maybe if they didn't speak English, that's all they could say. But sometimes they would even see people reading newspapers with, you know, reading Luca's story. And one, I have one incident of that in the book where they said, hey, Luca, over here. And, and the Finns are not known for being very effusive. But, um, they're, it's, if you read anywhere, it says, you know, they can be very, you know, they don't start these you know, personal conversations with people they don't know. But Luca, like so many dogs, broke all that ice. And she was a celeb. She got to enjoy a, a, a wonderful winter in the snow near the North Pole. And then she found herself back here. And yes, I did live with the family for almost a couple of weeks. And it was just the best thing I could have done because I needed, I mean, I ended up doing hundreds of hours of interviews for this book with so many people. It's not just Luca's story, but all the stories that intertwine with her yes. story. And that's, I think it makes a rich tapestry and it reads more like a novel than a nonfiction work. And that, yes. that was my goal because it is like a novel. Her life is a novel and all these other people involved are, so I did so much research, but being with her and being her roommate really helped make those layers so rich and really getting to know her and the family was of immense value and, and really fun as well, as you can imagine. 
Well, you have done a beautiful job in your book. You have, I'm sure, made Luca very proud in how you've told her story. And it's a wonderful book. And I, I know that our listeners are going to enjoy every single word of it and, and be as proud of her and the work that she's done and her handlers and, and everyone involved with her. It's just wonderful. So thank you so much. And before we let you go, I do want to ask you, so how can our listeners get more information about the book, about Top Dog? Well, it's available at all online sources, so you Amazon or Barnes or Noble or whatever, but my website is a great place to get a little more information and see some bonus photos, and that's just simply soldierdogs.com, and should also let you know that I have a very active Facebook page where I post um, a really nice post almost every day with a photo and new information, whether on Luca or other military dogs, and now the dogs are coming home, so got some feel-good stories going on there as well as some very poignant or sometimes heartbreaking stories, but that's simply facebook.com slash soldier dogs. And uh, come and come and like us and I think you'll like what you see. Oh, great. Well, we will do that. And we will also make sure and include that information on your webpage on our Pet Life Radio site so that we can make sure that our listeners have that in case they don't jot that down right now. It will be available to them. So thank you so much for sharing that as well. You got it, Marcy. Thanks for having me as a guest. Yeah, well, we hope you'll come back because I'm sure that there are other military or other type of dog books in your future. So we hope you'll come back and share other stories with us because we love hearing about those. And we just love hearing about Luca. It's just so awesome. So thank you so much. Thank you. And we want to thank you too, our listeners, for being with us. We love to spend this time with you. And we also love to get your emails. So please keep those coming. And you can email Whistle and myself at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E at PetLifeRadio.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook and at WorkingLikeDogs.com. So thanks so much for being with us. And we look forward to being with you again soon. Take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.